This episode is brought to you by The Princess Process. If you're just starting out in your business and you're trying to figure it all out on your own and you're still trading time for dollars or maybe you still have to have side hustles and part-time jobs to support yourself or you frankly aren't bringing in more than $35,000 a year in your business, then I invite you to join my VIP monthly membership, The Princess Process. Think about it. Every princess has a community that expects that she'll be queen one day, right? And every princess has an elite council who is training and grooming her for the day that she takes the throne. Inside my VIP membership program, The Princess Process, you get to benefit from my successful 10-year track record in sales and entrepreneurship, and you get the community of mission-minded, heart-centered entrepreneurs to support you on your rise to reign. Join me weekly for training and live laser group coaching to walk you through the exact steps you need to get you more clarity confidence, and cash flow in your business. Together, we master the six pillars of business from mindset, skill set, systems, branding, marketing, and sales to take you from princess to queen bee of your biz, getting you the income, impact, and freedom that you deserve. And when you join now, as a thank you for being a loyal listener, you get lifetime access to my $111 Sell Like a Queen 5-Hour Self-Study Course that can help you increase your sales up to 300%, and you get to keep that as my gift to you for life. My private clients invest thousands of dollars a month to work with me. So the Princess Process is the best place to work with me as your coach consistently with no commitment, no high fees, and access to live weekly group coaching and training available to no one else outside our VIPs. So head on over to crownyourself.com forward slash the Princess Process and sign up today. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode. I am so excited for this episode because I am bringing on someone who specializes in something that a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we don't really think about when we're building our business. My guest today is Marla DiCarlo. She is the CEO at Raincatcher and the co-founder, the leading business brokerage firm in America. At Raincatcher, Marla and her team rapidly transform small businesses into companies that are built to sell and in turn help those entrepreneurs buy and sell their remarkable enterprises. Marla partners with entrepreneurs and business business owners to help source the best win-win deal for all parties. I love that. Originally from Arizona, Marla and her husband and her three children relocated to Colorado in 2000, uh, in 20, how do you say that? In 27? <laughs> 2007. <laughs> in 2007. <laughs> And from 2000, from 2000 to 2008, Marla worked as director of accounting for an M&A an M &A and investment group that specialized in purchase, capitalization, and management of real estate and businesses in various sectors. She worked with groups such as Credit Suisse, First Boston, ISS Group, Venture West, Cap, uh, Venture West Group, and Madison Dearborn Partners. In 2012, she opened Kaizen Business Results. I love the name. A fractional CFO, accounting and bookkeeping firm to help small businesses and small business owners understand the story behind their numbers to get to the next level, helping those businesses scale and working with owners between the $100,000 and $15 million markers. Woo! She has been in business for over 27 years and has a background in strategic planning, projecting valuation, and new deals, forecasts, and budgeting. Marla, 
Welcome to the program. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. And uh, I read that you did a great job on the bio. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me so happy. So is there anything that I left out? I mean, that is an incredibly impressive biography, 27 years in business and as well as three children and a husband. I'm all about having that holistic success. So share your success secret. Thanks. Um, Yeah, I, you know, first off, let's just talk about being a mom and working, right? We all have struggles doing that. You know, we still have expectations on us as a mother and, and then we want to compete and, and show that we can do things in the workforce. And so it's challenging, you know, nothing, I always say nothing I did in my career was ever easy, but I would do it all over again. Um, Yeah, love it. Uh, um, You know, I, I, I think one of the biggest things for me was I always had such a passion to want to help people. And so in business, it just came natural. Um, My parents were entrepreneurs growing up. They had pet shops and a horse business. And so I, I was, I was fortunate to be brought up in that spirit and then also just understanding the value of customer service and um, sales. So I totally agree that being raised with entrepreneurial parents really sets up a totally different mindset than the traditional employee mindset that's sort of taught and also kind of taught in schools in essence. So can you speak a little bit more about that shift in thinking? I mean, I know you grew up with it, but maybe a lot of the small business owners you work with maybe didn't have that as an asset. Yeah. Um, you know, I think being able to understand um, the importance of, of building relationships and, and, and understanding that it's not a matter of selling, right? I often give a presentation about selling where I, I reference don't be that guy, <laughs> you know, and what that means is, or that woman in this situation, you know, what that means is it, it's so easy to just listen and relate with that person and then figure out, do you have a solution for them? Do you have a service offering that they need or a product they need? And if you push it, if you sell them something they don't want, it will never work. At some point, you know, it will come back that, oh, I wish I had, I regret ever making that decision. And so I think that's one of the things that I learned early on, and I'm sure you did as well, is just that, that piece of relationship building and selling. And it's so important. It was always something in me that was in my core. I, I originally went to school uh, to become a social worker. <laughs> really? And, yes. And I, I share that story often, even when I'm, I'm talking to a prospective client, because I'm an accountant, you know, and I became an accountant. But what that tells hopefully the audience is that um, in my core is someone that really cares about people and and wants to help people. And so that was always there. That was always something, um, you know, that was just a part of my being. Um, What I learned (laughs) in in the social work, you know, uh, human services classes is that I I thought differently. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I am a very linear thinker. Um, I am out of the box, which is unusual for an accountant, but um, I, I, I definitely like process and routine and, and just thought differently. And so my, actually it was my director of human services that pulled me aside one day and said, Marla, you, you have such a unique way of, of how, you, how you think and how you pose questions. And I'm just wondering, have you thought about maybe going into business? I think that you could really be someone and something in business, a leader. And that, and that I'll never forget that because I, I made that change and it was the best decision I made. <laughs> so looking at that, like, I mean, you grow up in an entrepreneurial household and you're around that mindset. What did you want to be as a child and how does it compare to where you are now? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I always knew that I wanted to do something helping people. Uh, that was, you know, I, I mean, I, probably at an early age, I wanted to become a doctor or, <laughs> you know, uh, something that, that definitely helped people to 
feel better and making a difference. It's something that's very important to me. Um, and uh, what I realized, you know, very early in life also is that I'm a driven individual. Uh, I'm very goal oriented. Uh, I'm, I'm my own self motivator, you know, my worst critic. I'm sure many women can right relate back at to you that. with that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, you know, I, I guess I realized at an early age that I had something different and just how was I going to use that? You know, how was I going to put that? To, to help others. So uh, my dad used to tell me all the time, you should become an attorney <laughs> because I was great at negotiating. <laughs> but the ethics there, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I love the fact that you brought this amazing moral compass into finance. Yes. Because I think there is nothing more painful than seeing people in financial distress. I've been there. Yes like when you are in that place of really feeling stuck with your finances, it really makes everything else kind of, it ripples out into every other area of your life. So what specifically about finances was the, the driving factor? How did you realize your own financial power and how do you help others find that in themselves? Oh, I, I love telling this story because it really is what, what led me to what I'm doing today. So, well, first off, just, you know, my story behind becoming a social worker. And then one of the other things is I was always really good in math and um, just, it, it was just natural for me. It was something I understood. And, um, so, uh, you know, I guess going now into my accounting career, at a very early age, I was able to uh, become a corporate controller. I mean, I was 27 years old, uh, but it was because um, I understood numbers and cared about financials and also cared about helping others and applying it to them. I always had, a, I guess, a natural ability to recognize that um, there was something I wasn't communicating the right way if they weren't understanding. Um, so uh, that led, you know, down a career path that eventually led me to the M&A group that um, what we did is I would fly out and perform due diligence on business owners and um, take that back to my group and we would determine, okay, can, can we help them? Is there an exit plan here, you know, a way to help them scale or do they need to sell? And it was during that time that I recognized, um, gosh, small business is underserved. I mean, we use that so often just throwing it out there, but it's true. It, 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 you know, in corporations, they have an executive team. They have these professionals. They have the tools and the resources. In small business, we don't have that. And so there was, um, just to make a long story short, there was this trucking company. It was a family-owned trucking company. It had been in business for like a hundred years or something. It had been passed on from generation to generation. And there was a reason why I was interviewing them. And I left there and I thought, this is really unfortunate because what happened is the owner who had taken it over from his father and wanted to hand it down to his son had been reading his financials wrong. Um, he didn't recognize that there were certain um, costs that he, he was not capturing in his cost of goods or cost of sales. And so it wasn't being reflected in his gross profit margin. And what happened is he thought, I don't understand. I'm operating out of 55%. Why am I not being profitable? And when we finally dug in and I helped him understand some of the direct costs he was missing, it was more like a 35%. And this had been two years where this this poor man had been losing money and it was really too late there was nothing I could do at that stage a bank was not going to finance him we couldn't help him I just left recommendations to help him make changes but it impacted me and I left there and I thought I'm going to make a difference I'm going to change this so that's when I created Kaizen and and that really I guess is a story around you know the math and the numbers and, and why it's so important to pay attention to those things. So speaking of that, what numbers, because I, I deal with a lot of newbie business owners, so what numbers should they pay attention to? You, you mentioned a lot of really good accounting jargon in that story. <laughs> um, can you break some of those, those uh, 
seemingly complex terminology down into something that's understandable and relatable? Sure. Um, you know, I think first, one of the most important things that I think business owners overlook is, and I'm going to jump into this now, the, the story behind their financials. Mm -hmm. There is a story. And oftentimes what they don't understand, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidebar for a minute. I remember talking to this marketing person. She's one of the smartest ladies I know. I've known her for about 10 years, just a dynamo woman. And, but what happened is she was looking at her profit and loss statement, like just for that month. And she kept saying to me, Marla, I don't get it. And I, that's okay. I'm going to help you. And what what she wasn't doing is she wasn't taking that current month or that current year and comparing it to the story, the historical story of her business mm. or to, you know, the, the future story of her business, you know, looking at her budget, looking at her business plan. And, and so I think a lot of times that's one of the mistakes that owners make is um, it's not just looking at the numbers, it's what are those numbers telling you when you look at them in different ways. And, and so more than just a certain ratio or a certain, you know, secret number that you should mm -hmm. pay attention to, which of course there are those, it's really taking the information and making it come alive you know, look at, take your current month, take your current quarter and look at the historical same periods, you know, a current month, a, 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 I mean, a, a prior month, a prior quarter, a prior year, and then look at the changes and you will be amazed when you do that, what it tells you, you know, sometimes looking at your sales, I, I always say it's not only about what you're doing wrong. It's also celebrating those victories. When you look at growth in your sales, celebrate. <laughs> you yes. did that. Oh my gosh. I am all about that. Yes. That yeah. is so, so huge because a lot of times, and I know this, especially with uh, a lot of beginning entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, we're looking at the number in our bank account and <laughs> That somehow determines our own, in many ways, determines our own self-worth. It also, in many ways, we think that that's where our business is, is based on our current bank account, rather than looking at, okay, well, let's look at all the expenses we've had for the past month or the past year, and let's also look at all the, the profits that we've had, all the sales that we've had. And like when you look at the sales sometimes, it's like, holy crap, like what an amazing progression. Like this, this past year, I was going over some of my own bookkeeping and I was like, oh my gosh, like the sales increased 389%. I was like, holy moly. And it was such an exciting moment for me because prior to that, I've been comparing my worth my where my business was based on my bank account and I was like oh hell no like right grown <laughs> it's just I, I also had some more costs yeah you know and you're not alone oh my goodness you know that's that I think that's probably you know step number one when I when I'm going through financial training with a business owner is mm -hmm. is is gosh please stop just opening your bank account and then making your decisions off of that balance because what it's not telling you is is that everything that cleared, you know, or the checks that you wrote that you forgot about, or even more so, it's not helping you to see what's coming up. Mm -hmm. And if you keep up with your bookkeeping the right way, you know, keep it real time, keep it accurate, reconcile your accounts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a mistake a lot of people make is, you know, hey, I've got all this stuff that I'd never reconcile. Um, you know, if you do those things, it will show you, oh, shoot, you know what? I forgot that I have my insurance annual renewal coming up in, next month. And geez, I, this is a lean month for me. And so I've got to make some changes now, you know, so that I can afford to do that or make a phone call and ask, you know, is there something we can do? But it, I call it keeping the blinders on. And a lot of owners do that. And they don't do it because they don't care, you know, like you can tell you care very much about your business performance and scaling your company. I think a lot of times it's that we're afraid of the answer. Yes. 
oh, fear plays such an insidious part sometimes in our numbers. And perhaps it's because of how we were raised or perhaps mm -hmm. it's because we have a perception commonly that our bank account reflects our worth, like I've said, yes. or it reflects where our business is. And that's not necessarily the case. Yes. So I love that numbers, like the story that numbers can tell and on like the more mindset level, how do you feel like with the clients that come to you who aren't from that entrepreneurial background, who have, who come to you with that different mindset, do you find that they have more or less limiting beliefs around, around their money, around their bank account, around the, the trajectory of their company? Yes, <laughs> I do. And, and you know what? I, I'm, I'm, when you're saying that, I'm like, gosh, do I say this next? Because let me tell you, women power, <laughs> but it's often women. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and I, I don't know why that is. You know, I, it may be my generation was still the generation where my mom stayed home and my dad took care of the bills. And, you know, my mom was definitely, you know, they participated in life. But, you know, I think that, I think that that's something that we, we haven't been taught to embrace. And, and we do at men and women base a lot of their self-worth and value on money. And it's, it's, it's sad sometimes because I spend a lot of my time when I work with owners, just helping them to um, stop beating themselves up. Like it first off, stop feeling like you need to do everything. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. You do not need to do everything. You are a smart and capable person just because you created this business. Not everyone can do this. Mm -hmm. And second is it's okay that you don't know everything. I, that's a sign of intelligence when you bring in someone who is, you know, better versed or more educated in a certain topic. Like it's not, I, I often, and men do this a lot. They're afraid to bring in um, like someone to help them with their books, a bookkeeper, mm -hmm. because they go, Oh, I can do this. You know, I don't have much going on and, and, and I can reconcile my checking account. And as an accountant, it's like, yes, that's all we do. <laughs> you know, so embrace that it's okay to not have know everything and and accept help <laughs> i love that in fact one of my like mentors from the past henry ford said mm -hmm. that because he, he he i believe and i'm probably going to misquote the the story but there was a story that i heard that i remember that he was basically asked like well why don't you know like all of these things and he's like that's what I pay people to know. Like I, I pay them to build my company. I pay them to grow this. Like I'm the visionary. That's my genius zone. So the bookkeeping, the, the actual mechanics of it, that's all other people like outsource it. Oh my gosh. I love that quote. <laughs> yeah. Outsource it. And just, yeah, Really, like I'm all about the power of building team. In fact, that's one of the big things that I recommend to any solopreneur starting out is just hire one. Because when you're, especially when you're growing your business, you are, you're, you're normally doing it all yourself. And a lot of it is not your genius zone. Like, it's, so, I yes. mean, sometimes the, it's the accounting, maybe it's the product development, maybe it's market research, maybe it's analytics. Like there are certain things for me, like I'm the creative person, like looking at the analytics and the data, I love somebody telling me the story of what that's happened, of what's going on with that. But I don't particularly like love diving into each of the numbers, but when I can see the whole big picture, I'm like, oh, that's okay. But I need somebody who's detail oriented to look at those smaller things, right? Yes. So how, why is it important for women in specific to understand this language of money? Because money is just yeah. so much more than just dollars and cents. It's investments. It's mutual funds. It's all of this other things that I'm just now learning. So please expand on that. Yeah. You know, I think I always go back to um, that uh, accounting is the language of business. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it, it's all about what we just discussed. It, there is a story behind your numbers. That's not just something we're making up. And um, when you are building a company, uh, part of that success is sales and cash flow. And right, if you don't have that, you really don't have a business. And so, <laughs> and so <clears throat> I think, I think that sometimes what happens is numbers have this scary, you know, meaning definition to it. It's like, oh, yuck, math, right? But if, if you take the time to educate yourself on financials, on investments, um, you know, about numbers, you know, what are, what, what um, metrics are important to measure in sales, what metrics are important, KPIs are important to um, track in your business. If you really take the time to educate yourself on that, it's not as scary. And, and you begin, you almost get excited about it. I mean, I, gosh, one of my, when I, my celebration is when I'm working with like a creative person like yourself, mm-hmm. who maybe oftentimes doesn't care for numbers or the analytics and the details, you know, you're, you're a creative type. And when I can get that person to a place where they are like, Oh my gosh, look at how well I did, you know, compare it looking at their KPIs or ratios that we've established. I know I've got them because Mm -hmm. that scary thing about numbers is now gone. And and I think that's something that is really important. Just remember it's the language of business. It's important. I love that because I'm all about language as an NLP coach and, and it's the language that you use is so important. And I often equate financials with kind of like the perceptions around health. Mm. And like when you first think of like, maybe you start from going from a not healthy diet and you think of health food, quote unquote health food, you're like, oh, yuck. Oh, bland. Oh, gross. Uh, no, thank you. Um, I'll go for the burger. Thanks. But, <laughs> but when you really start diving into like how that health, what that health does for you and how that, that those healthier foods can make you feel those other choices, those looking at it in a different way, when you shift your perspective, that's when everything changes. And Oh, absolutely. I love, now I would love for you to dive into what qualifies a business that is built to sell and one that is not, because I know like we have a lot of personal brands listening and that a lot of those personal brands aren't really planning on selling their business at any time soon. Yeah. But I can speak from my own experience owning an e-commerce business. Like that business was not meant to be my be all and end all. And, <laughs> and like, I loved it. I put my all into it for two years and it just like, it was the plan eventually was to sell it. I was bought out prior to that happening, but that, the exit strategy, having an exit strategy, and do you need one if you're a personal if you're a personal brand? Oh, absolutely. Uh, every business owner needs um, to have an exit plan. Uh, you know, I, I think that's another. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or just again kind of being scared of the answer. I'm not sure, but whether you're going to sell your business in five years or fifty years you need to have a plan, um, an exit plan, because what it does is, again, I always use, you know, the language around being proactive. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing worse than not having options. There's nothing worse when you're in a situation where it just is what it is and you just got to go along. There's nothing you can do to change it now, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you plan and you're proactive, then you really, you take control over the destiny of, um, where you're going and, 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 and it helps to, I think, uh, give purpose to that business. You're, it's, it's the difference between um, having a job and building a company. Yes. The language, is, it sounds like you use. <laughs> yes. I mean, because a lot of times, especially as entrepreneurs, we are very skilled at building jobs for ourselves. Yes. And it's, we are very skilled at working in our business and not necessarily on it, on like the overall concept of this, of raising 
a business. So eventually it can go out into the world beyond you and do its own thing beyond you. Right. Well, and even with a personal brand, um, my gosh, I mean, how many success stories are there out there that are around uh, the CEO? You know, um, I I mean, there's tons. And and so even with a personal brand, you can create a following, uh, you know, an audience, sales, customers, you can create a brand. That is most important. You know, I think one of the things that actually is really interesting about a personal brand is the market, um, uh, the marketability, you know, the, 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 the uniqueness of that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what buyers are looking for. When, when a buyer is looking at a business, one of the decisions that they make before they go and look at that business or that industry or whatever is, is it easier for me to build it or buy it? And if they, if they can build it, it's because that particular service offering or that particular product doesn't have a uniqueness to it. Mm. If you can build a company that has something that your competitors don't and you can create, you know, a monopoly or even, you know, own a market that no one else can touch and it's easier to do than it seems. Those are the type of businesses that buyers want. And it doesn't matter if you're one person or 10 people in that type of situation. So uh, personal brand shouldn't really affect a, a, a business owner's decision to want to plan to sell. I think it's a perception of how do you exit out of a brand that's about you? Mm. Yeah. Rather than being in the business of your own brand and so how do you separate yourself from that yeah gosh that's a great question because that's hard to do that that is one of the challenges that a solo entrepreneur faces right is that there's there's certain factors certain attributes that can affect the value of a company mm-hmm. and one of the big ones is owner dependency um, if a business is dependent on that owner uh, it can make it difficult to find a ton of multiple buyers or to sometimes get the, the you know, a, a higher value um, than what you're asking for. However, uh, I have story after story of businesses that are solo entrepreneurs that were approached by competitors, that were approached by, um, you know, um, strategic buyers that wanted to add that service offering or product to their, to their business. Mm -hmm. And what, what comes out of that is again, planning as long as the, that solo entrepreneur has planned when that happens to be a part of that transition. So rather than kind of phasing out six months into, you know, the, the merger acquisition or whatever, it, they need to stay on board for a couple of years. And there's so many benefits to that too. It can be hard because somebody else is taking over your business, but a lot of times you can structure your, you know, your contract to make sure that there's still, still certain decisions that you make so that you're still in control of building that company. Mm. That's, that's fascinating because to me, it's bringing to mind like really big brands like Nasty Gal and what happened with like Sophia Amoroso and Apple and with Steve Jobs passing yes, away. Elon and Musk. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Like what's going to happen to Tesla after that? Right. So it's like you build these amazing brands that are a huge part of you, but then you also kind of are removed because they're bought by other people or they're just become public. Um, so have you found that there is a difference between the personal connection between somebody who has grown their business and somebody who purchased, who purchased, who, uh, purchased words are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I, <it will> be <laughs> <me in minute. laughs> a business that was maybe a personal brand or a, like a family owned business or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you mean what happened? Yeah, so so what it leads me to is we we often and I and I saw in um, some of your um, email uh, copy going back that you know you talk about this that um, I always say everyone thinks their baby is pretty mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
And, um, you know, and, and it's true. I actually do a presentation where I show this picture of my daughter who's now 16 and she won this baby coffee, you know, book award type Aww. of thing. And, I mean, she was adorable, you know, but it's like it, the same applies to a business owner. Um, it, it's something they created. It's something that they, they, they nurtured. It's something that is, is very personal to them. And especially when you're dealing with small business, that's the difference um, uh, between um, professionals that work in uh, the middle market versus a smaller market. Uh, it's not that they don't understand the concepts of business and how to scale a business, but sometimes they individuals don't understand the blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> that go into building a small business. I you know, know it does it. <laughs> right? Any. <laughs> Anyone that has had employees in a business, maybe it doesn't happen in every business, but you know, at some point you're going to look at your cash flow and go, oh my gosh, can I continue to run my company and pay my employees? And how am I going to do that? It's just part of you know, building the brand, building the business. And so it is very personal. And, and that can be difficult depending on the type of buyer that purchases your business. So to come back to your point, one of the things I know that we do in Raincatcher is we spend a lot of time uh, getting to know our seller uh, beyond just their business. We, we want them and encourage them to talk to um, a wealth planner so that they know what's the money they need to take out of this purchase, have they plan you know, their taxes, sit down with the CPA, and then what's their why? What's important to you? Um, I, I have a story of a business that um, sold and they got a ton of money. Uh, it was a full cash price offer. I was so happy for them. And we thought, including them, that they got everything they wanted. Well, what happened about six months in is the buyer had a plan and had communicated that often in the conversations prior to buying the business that they weren't going to keep all the employees. And so when that happened, it impacted that seller, the person that sold the business personally, you know, it really hurt them. And so, you know, I think one of the things to do is to really think about before you sell your business, what do I want to see happen to my business? Cause it is personal. That's your baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and, you know, and, and communicate that. So if you're working with a business broker or even to your attorney or your CPA or whatever, communicate to your advisors, I don't want this to happen. And this is the type of buyer I'm looking for. And then ask a lot of questions. You know, don't be afraid for most small business owners. This is the first time they're doing this. It, again, it's okay to not wear all the hats. It's okay to raise your hand. It doesn't mean that you know, you, you're not intelligent. It, 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 how would you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not your area of expertise. And yes. I just, I, I find that to be so valuable of just having the foresight of, and the vision as to where you want your company to go. I mean, like my parents are still working in their company. They've grown their business to a multi-million dollar business. And it's really awesome, but they're still working in the business as well. And it's something that I've seen, and you've given me actually so much perspective about what, what isn't about really shaping an exit strategy and if there is one and how, how that would look and what that would be. Um, because for me, I, you know, when I created crown yourself, I created it at literally it, the inception of it came when I first got married, but the, uh, the, it took me two years to kind of figure out what it was. And then I got pregnant and then many of my, my audience knows my story. And so as when I got pregnant, I was like, well, it's kind of time to, to ish or get off the pot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I just was like, okay, I'm going to grow this, this coaching and digital education based business while I was pregnant and it's, it's been an amazing experience and it's one of those that, you know, is so personal and that it's like, Oh, I would never sell that. But I think, you know, to my, the people that I look to for 
that I find to be my mentors that I admire, I'm like, well, they kind of all ended up selling their businesses. And I think one of the things that I, I've seen is with personal brands in specific, they a lot of times name the brand like Tony Robbins or Brendan Bouchard, like they name the brand after themselves. Mm-hmm. How much more difficult is that to then remove the person from that n- namesake in essence? Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I, if I was to give advice, if somebody said it's starting up a company and they're throwing out names and their names involved versus maybe a more creative name, I would say, try to leave your name out if you can, because if you do want to sell, um, you know, that will make it more difficult. Now, uh, mergers happen all the time acquisitions happen all the time where they just change the company name and so it doesn't mean if they have something that if you have something as a business owner that that buyer really wants you know a, a, you know an audience I, I think you know with your business that's a big part of it is the followers that you have and mm-hmm. and the culture you know that you're creating around you know your show um, you know that's something that could easily be um, not, not without you, you know, but that's something that maybe a buyer wants to bring into their business Mm -hmm. because they're missing that piece. And, and so maybe it's the product stays named as you, but the company's something else, you know, there's a fascinating way of spinning, uh, of thinking about that. And I just, I would encourage any of you who are looking to start your own businesses or you have your own business um, if it is named after you, why, like, why did you choose to name it after you? Sometimes that's a bit of the ego speaking. Sometimes like we all love to hear our own names, <laughs> but, but sometimes it's also maybe we didn't feel we were that creative or couldn't come up with some other names. So really, I would, I would really recommend that you assess as to why you name it or look at other naming options. I loved, I loved your advice on that, Marla. So Thanks. If Can I give one more example with Ooh, that? Is that yes, okay? Please. Just because I want to be able to apply it tangibly to one more thing I thought of. With, with Raincatcher, um, uh, I was part of the original founders, but a large part of our copy was written around Robert Hirsch, mm-hmm. who was you know, had the original idea and, you know, brought in me, myself and others. Um, so a lot of the branding was around him. I mean, the website was his face when you opened it up, which was fine. It, it served a purpose for his messaging, what he was trying to accomplish when he created Raincatcher. When I purchased Raincatcher from him in 2018, um, I wanted to have a message around small business. Mm-hmm. I wanted small business owners to understand that I live and breathe your world. I get it. And so we changed that. Um, we didn't change the name, but we changed changed all of our messaging all we wanted to go after. So I bring that up just because it's never too late. It's okay if you started with your own name and it's okay if you have certain messaging. My gosh, marketing professionals, PR people are the most creative people I've met in my life and they have so many ways of being able to get you to tell your story and and really fine tune who your audience is and what your messaging is. So don't be afraid to do that. Oh, I love that. And you did a great job with the branding and because I definitely was doing my research before this interview and you did a fantastic job with your website. So Thank you. Was, I appreciate that. <laughs> definitely have very tangible advice and options for people to come and access you. And it you make it look just super simple. So if you were going to give a woman one tip that she can implement into her marketing right now to start positioning her business in the best light for potential buyers, what would that tip be? Mm. Oh gosh, because I get so excited about talking about these things. It's hard to think of one tip. (laughs) Um, You know, I think, um, I really feel like figuring out the uniqueness Mm -hmm. in, in, in your what your market position is for your service or your product is the most important. Mm 
Um, I, I, I see often business owners trying to do multiple things. You know, they have 15 different, it's like a, you, you have, I know we've all gone into a restaurant and, and the restaurant owner thinks it's a good thing that there's a hundred things on their menu, but you're overwhelmed. You're like, mm -hmm. I don't know what they do well. What? <laughs> it's kind of the same thing with a business owner. You know, it, it's okay. Take the time to go through the process and the work to find, to figure out what's the one thing you are really good at and then go after that mm -hmm. make yourself stand out find that you know market position the monopoly control i was talking about i think that's probably the the number one tip if i can fit in a second tip oh, yes. be, please do man work on your customer service <laughs> because if, if that's your brand that yes. that that's your word of mouth and if you if you it's i have i i have met so many business owners that are so great at marketing and will bring in tons of leads but they don't take the time to build a relationship to create raving fans uh, whether it's a one-time service offering like my business for most part or multiple times that, you know, repeat business, recurring revenue, it doesn't matter. Uh, word of mouth, it's a small world <laughs> and it goes a long way. So focus on customer service as a second tip. <laughs> yeah, I was actually just at a, at a weekend um, with, at, with away with uh, a $20 million coaching business that this woman has grown and she's just massive. And the two things that she works on every single day are lead generation and customer retention, like yep. every single day. So if you're looking to grow to 20 million and I know <laughs> crown yourself is like, that is definitely something to put into place. So I would love to know, because I love to dive into just our womanhood, because we, especially as a mother and as a wife and as a business owner, and having been doing this for 27 years, like, maybe longer. I made it up. <laughs> how has being a woman helped you in your career? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's actually it's helped me a lot. Uh, I I have a personality where I just like people, so uh, I I like the uniqueness of people, and so I just tend to you know embrace that, and and then included. Uh, you know, it, it, when, I, when I started my career as an accountant, that was hard. Uh, that's an old school <laughs> industry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was one of the women that, you know, that, that, that scenario we talk about sitting in a conference room and you say something and unfortunately the guy next mm -hmm. to you says the same thing and, you know, everybody goes, oh, that's a great idea, Jimmy. And you're going, to, I just said that. <laughs> um, but what what I have found as far as, you know, how it has helped me is um, I, I have compassion and empathy. Um, and, you know, I often talk about humanizing customer experience. That just comes natural. And I think for most women, because we are nurturers, mm -hmm. that is something that's just a naturally, you know, built in. It's, it's our mothering instinct. It's, and, and that can go a long way. Uh, you know, a lot of times I think, uh, in our society, men are taught, you know, not to show feelings, not to, you know, show empathy. And, um, and, and so I hope that's something that as women continue in the workforce, we teach them that it's okay and it should be embraced. I, I love that. That's one of the top things I'm teaching my son. And he's, I, he already has been, he's already incredibly compassionate for a toddler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it makes a difference. It makes a difference, right? <laughs> but he's, it's, 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 I love that, you know, teaching and allowing men to have that empathy because it really does. It, it can creates a far deeper connection so since you've been in business for a while, I would love to know what your absolute favorite failure has been, because I don't believe in failures. I believe in learning <laughs> lessons, but the failures are the greatest ones normally. So I would love yeah. to hear about yours. Oh my gosh. There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> like and, the epic one. Oh gosh. Oh, uh, um, oh, I, I, I know one that came right away. Uh, actually. So it was when I was uh, running Kaizen, uh, my consulting business. And um, I 
uh, pride is probably the right word to use. I had a lot of pride on um, my abilities to be able to work with a small business owner and earn their trust and help them to scale. And, you know, um, I had this one client uh, very early actually in Kaizen that um, I thought I understood where they wanted to go, like what, what our goals were. I thought I understood what my, my staff was supposed to do, what I was supposed to do. And because um, I always pride myself on being a good listener. And um, gosh, it was probably about three months into the engagement. I got a phone call from a woman that uh, business owner in a big company, and she was mad. And I thought, why is she so mad at, you know, whatever the situation is? And um, the outcome was that we were making recommendations to her staff and to her executive team that was not aligned with mm -hmm. where she wanted to go in her business. And she felt um, slighted. She, she felt like we were ignoring her and it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a trigger for her. And I learned very early in my career from that. I lost the account. Uh, I couldn't save it. I, I, I do pride myself that I haven't, that hasn't happened a lot, but that's because I learned from that lesson. Mm -hmm. What I learned was, um, you need to listen. You, you, you need to listen to your customer you need to repeat back to them, you know, where you're going. You need to document what you think they want. And it's not about you. It's about serving that customer. And that was um, probably the best lesson I learned. I, and I apply it today. And uh, big epic failure. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Pride definitely comes before the fall. Like, I yep. oh. That is, that is one that has, that I had to learn from, from being bought out from my first e-commerce company. Cause I had a lot of pride in that business and I had to eat my work. <laughs> <laughs> I love though what you said. I, I love what you said about that. You don't believe in that they're failures, that they're, you know, that they really are learning opportunities. Um, you know, one more, uh, we just had the other day a situation with a customer where it was just a misunderstanding. It wasn't that my salespeople did anything wrong or that they, the customer did anything wrong. It really was just a misunderstanding. And what we were able to do from that is re refine our process and really think about, okay, how do we introduce earlier, um, you know, in the script and in, in working with the customer, the expectations. And so we were able to save that account. But, it, you know, when you make a mistake, it's already done. And I think too often people spend so much time beating themselves up and, ah, oh, I should have done this and I should have done that, or beating up other people if you have that personality. And that's not productive. Sit down, collaborate as a team or with yourself even with a with another person, a person you respect and talk mm -hmm. through how you're going to change that, how you're going to make it better. Amen. I always, I, th I think of failure kind of like when you're bouncing on a trampoline, you get a lot more bounce from when you take a really deep bend into the trampoline so that you launch a lot higher. So when, but that's only if you learn from it. Otherwise you can launch and then just fall again on your face. Right. So, <laughs> so but when you learn from it, it's, it's, it creates this powerful opportunity to grow. And I totally agree with you, Marla, on, on collaborating with finding somebody that you really respect who also calls you out on your BS, like whether that yes. is a coach, whether that is a, a fellow entrepreneur friend. I personally do not believe in taking advice from people who are not entre entrepreneurs yep. about my business because they don't understand, like I said, different mindset. Um, so being aware of who is the person that you are entrusting with your, your learnings and your failures and how to grow from there. Um, but definitely find a way to, to grow so that, and find the lesson in the failure. So that way it moves you forward so much faster. Cause like you said, Got you it. never repeated that. Right. Well, and the power, you know, I, I often talk about the power in the tribe. So mm -hmm. the power and it's the power in the team because, um, I am, I'm a big advocate for, um, peer groups, but to your point, 
entrepreneur peer groups. So, you know, whether it's a mastermind group, a CEO group, there's so many of them out there. I've been a part of, my gosh, at least seven, eight in my career. And I learned more from those groups because they're people that have already made that mistake. Mm -hmm. So you can learn from them or it's people that um, are in your same camp. They're in the same place. So, mm -hmm. you know, they can give you advice that you can really apply and, you know, take to heart. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big advocate for the peer groups. Oh, I, I think that is a perfect place to just wrap this up with some rapid fire. <laughs> so I would love, are, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, great. <laughs> so what... What is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, oh geez. In a book or a movie. Um, you know, I always, I always love the, the movie stars, the women movie stars that are like this adventurous, you know, daring individual that, you know, everybody's like, what is she doing? Uh, I just watched A Star is Born, which I'm a big fan of the old one. And I love that because she was, you know, out there, like she was daring. She wasn't afraid to take a chance. Ah, yes. If you were queen of a country, what would be your prime focus? Oh, geez. Helping people to get along. <laughs> <laughs> Man, by peace. <laughs> yep. Come on, peace. What, yes. would be, what, would, what would you consider to be your kingdom? Mm. Kingdom, like um, as far as where I put my time and energy and faith? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in, in spirituality, you know, and, 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 um, and God for me. And I, that's a big part of who I am. If your palace had a curse jar, how much money would you have to put in it every day? <laughs> oh lord well my kids are older now but uh yeah it would be enough that i could probably make a car payment <laughs> <laughs> is that because of how like is that because you're putting in quarters and you just do it a lot or is it well like 20s? <laughs> yeah no it's because i'm putting in maybe pennies no <laughs> <laughs> so what woman would you want to trade places with just for one day oh geez um uh, that's a good question too. You've got some good questions. I wasn't prepared for this. Um, right, it's fire, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not as quick. Uh, who would I want to change places with for a day? Um, oh my gosh. I, for the life of me, I'm going to sound like it uh, just cannot. It's, it's because I'm getting older. I can't think of her name, but there was a CEO I read about the other day and I thought I would love to live in her world for a day. Uh, just interesting executive team. Um, what, what so. brand? Uh, it had to do with um, uh, telecom. Jeez. Yeah. Sorry. Blanking. Oh no, it's, <laughs> but awesome. I will hang up with you and I will I don't, send you. I don't remember it immediately. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> If you had to have your success at twice the speed, how would you have done it? Oh, gosh. Um, I would have embraced bringing in uh, people that are smarter than me earlier than I did. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And lastly, how do you crown yourself? Mm, my family. Uh, I, I'm really proud of, of my children. Uh, I raised men that are humble and respectful uh, and I've got a daughter that just has a heart, you know, uh, just bigger than the world. So I, I put the crown of mom. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and it's, it really is the best crown because there is, there is no other love like a child's love. So Marla, Absolutely. this has been such a joy. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I know our audience got some amazing takeaways. I mean, I know I did personally, and I know I'm definitely going to go back over my own money story in the past few years of being in business. So where can we find you? How can we work with you? And what's your process? Great. Thank you. And I've enjoyed this as well. Um, and you, so first off, raincatcher.com. 
uh, is where you can find us. And um, one thing I wanted to share with your audience is if they would like to get a score on their overall business, and there's also eight drivers that are really very important when you're scaling a business to sell, uh, we have offer a free assessment. So if you go to raincatcher.com and um, click on uh, the exit planning um, tab, uh, you'll see um, that there's the ability to take this as 13 minutes and it will give you this 27 page report that's really good information. Um, so I would love to have people take that. We love sharing that. So even if you're not looking to sell, uh, take it, we'll send it to you and, and it's good info. Um, I'm also I'm often doing um, speaking engagements, and so if you would like to learn more, you know, or you enjoyed this, then you know you can always um, go to the raincatcher.com uh, press or um, I'm sorry uh, resources tab, and then it will let you know topics I'm talking about. I think there's also webinars on there that you can watch as well. Awesome. Well, I highly recommend you go and watch and follow Marla because this information is so crucial to the lifeblood of your business, which is having your customers pay you money. <laughs> so, and, and also being smart about how you use that money and then how you prepare with the process of growing and expanding your business. As always, my fellow Queens, own your throne, mind your business, and make it rain. We will see you next time. Please be sure if you found value from this episode, please take a screenshot of it and tag us at crown yourself now on Instagram and post it in your stories and let me know what your top takeaway is. Write us up a review. Let me know what the top, your, your, your top takeaway was from this episode. And I am so excited. We will see you or he you'll hear me next time. Ciao! Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.